In today's episode, we take another look at SpaceX's plans, the age-old mystery of why cats love boxes is revealed, and life is thriving on the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. But first, it was on this day in 1987, English physicist J.J. Thompson announced his discovery of the electron. As of right now, we are awaiting stage separation where Starship should separate from the Super Heavy booster. SpaceX's Starship, the world's largest rocket, was set to fly to space for the first time earlier this month. But... The entire Starship stack continuing to rotate. We should have had separation by now. Obviously, this is uh, does not appear to be a nominal situation. It didn't quite get there. Around four minutes into its flight, Starship exploded. I do want to remind everyone that everything after clearing the tower was icing on the cake. Most companies wouldn't call a fiery explosion icing on the cake, but for SpaceX, explosions and crashes like this are part of a unique trial, an error-learning process the CEO Elon Musk expects will one day bring humans to Mars SpaceX and help fuel NASA's ambition to return like humans fast, to the moon. But learn faster. NASA is more like we can't afford to have anything explode while we're learning. <laughs> we have to. We have to be ready to go. It's taxpayers' dollars. We got to get it right. This is Mike Massimino, a former NASA astronaut who worked on the Hubble telescope, speaking with the Wall Street Journal. Starship has taken on an increasingly large role at SpaceX, and not just literally. It's central to the company's strategy, and executives have said they want to start launching the spacecraft regularly with Starlink satellites. Not only that, it signed a pair of contracts with NASA to develop a variant of Starship that would carry astronauts to the moon. It's certainly what NASA is counting on that's going to get people back to the moon and land on the moon. So it's a key piece of what, what NASA's trying to do. By the end of 2022, SpaceX was preparing for Starship's big launch. But even a year before that, Musk knew there was a lot of risk associated with a first launch. I would not say that uh, it is likely to be success uh, successful, but I think we'll, we'll make a lot of progress. And even the day before its scheduled launch, he still wasn't terribly optimistic. This is not like a, you know, some sort of uh, train leaving the station at precisely like, you know, 9.03 a.m. or something like that. So it makes sense that minutes after it exploded, SpaceX tweeted this. With a test like this, success comes from what we learn, and today's test will help us improve Starship's reliability as SpaceX seeks to make life multiplanetary. And when you have a failure, you learn a lot from that failure. So I think their plan was to test to the point of failure and then let's learn from that, what we can from that failure so it never happens again. Starship's grounded for now, but Musk said they'll be testing again in a few months. This is a huge step. If they can get this right, if they can figure out how to do this with, with such a big rocket, I think it's going to be not just taking people to the moon, but it's going to help us to explore the rest of our solar system and maybe beyond someday. Wake up! New COVID strains just dropped. That's right, just as the NHS COVID app closes down, a new Omicron subvariant is on the rise. Formerly known as XBB.1.16, the variant is steadily spreading in the US, although it's been detected in more than 30 countries. In the States, the CDC says it's responsible for nearly 10% of new COVID cases. Most of the data and news from this has come from India, where we know it's spread uh, much earlier on. And as we know, these are 
sublineages of Omicron, so it's still under that Omicron umbrella. That was Dr. Isaac Bogosh, a researcher in tropical diseases and HIV. Although it's under the familiar Omicron umbrella, the latest variant, known as Arcturus, has a unique symptom pink eye. Dr. Samuel Harris is a primary care physician in Florida where he spoke with CBS News. There's always going to be a surprise for us. Uh, This one just happens to be causing the conjunctivitis, which, you know, it's the itchiness of the eyes, the redness of the eyes. Uh, And it seems to be more uh, predominant for children, too. It it was a very common strain in India uh, a few weeks to a few months ago, which when that happens, we do expect it to eventually travel throughout the world. Over here, COVID-19 may not be at the top of everyone's mind anymore, but the NHS in the UK is still planning for a virus that's here to stay. This is John Seymour, Deputy Medical Director at the NHS Frimley Health Foundation Trust. When we see outbreaks or perhaps new variants of COVID come along, I I think we do still have to be particularly vigilant at those times because it will have an impact as we discussed on staffing and how we are able to look after people in hospital. Whilst medical professionals still want people to keep testing when they have symptoms and try to avoid getting infected in the first place, Dr Bogosh says the strain might not be quite as ominous as it sounds. It looks like more of the same in the sense that we've seen this happen several times before. It's still under the Omicron umbrella, but it's a slightly different version given the mutations and it can evade some of our uh, immunity to the, to the virus from prior infection and, uh, and cause an infection. Avoiding infection is, is the right move. But I think the key point here is we've had multiple waves with an Omicron variant. We had a BA2 wave in the spring. We had a BA4 and BA5 wave in the summer. We had an XBB 1.5 wave in the winter. And none of those have come even close to putting the same pressure on our healthcare system as the first Omicron wave. And I think this is going to be more of the same. Still to come on the Sunday 7, there's new evidence of our shrinking ice sheet and the real reason your feline companion prefers the cardboard box to the expensive cat bed. Mass loss from Greenland and Antarctica is now responsible for a quarter of all sea level rise. This contribution is five times what it was 30 years ago. There's alarming new evidence showing once again the dramatic impact of climate change. A new study shows that the massive ice sheets at the top and bottom of our planet are shrinking much faster than previously thought. An international group of scientists who work with satellite data says the acceleration in the melting of the Earth's ice sheets is now unmistakable. They calculate the planet's frozen poles lost 7,560 60 billion tonnes in mass between 1992 and 2022. And this is already having a devastating impact on coastal regions all over the world. This is Tawila Moon, a researcher at the US National Snow and Ice Data Centre, speaking with PBS NewsHour. It's important to remember the Greenland ice sheet covers the world's largest island. Antarctic ice sheet covers a continent. So these are very vast areas that are hard for us to imagine. And as we're losing ice from these areas, what we see arising at our coasts are things like coastal erosion, where we're losing land. We might have ocean water inundating our freshwater resources or causing problems with water and sewer systems. Or we might see flooding in areas that have never experienced it before, even further inland from the coast, and also areas that do experience flooding, having that occur more and more often. So these are impacts that we feel around the world, and those 
for those of us who have felt very far from ice. As apocalyptic as the figure seems, Tawila says the devastating results aren't quite baked in yet. Unfortunately, we have already put a lot of polluting gases into the atmosphere. So we can expect sea levels to rise over the next 2030s, 2040s, and that that amount of sea level rise has been baked in due to our past actions. But it's very important to understand that sea level rise after that time period is very highly dependent on what human actions we take, what society does to address climate change. And in those pathways, the kind of experiences that our children will have and our grandchildren will have is deeply affected by the human actions that we are taking now and over this decade. It is frustrating that we're not taking stronger and more immediate actions in many cases, but I think it's important to still remember that we have made progress from where we were, for example, a decade ago, and that starting progress in one location can pass to another, and we can really create sort of social societal tipping points in a good way. And so I think that we have to remember there's no expiration on climate action. Every tenth of a degree that we prevent warming is worthwhile and will benefit us, and we can continue to strengthen our action. are peculiar creatures. If you've ever had the pleasure of owning one, you'll know their favourite toy is probably a random ball of paper you forgot to pick up from the floor, and their favourite place to sit is a slightly too small cardboard box. The internet is overrun by videos of cats in boxes, but why so few videos of dogs in boxes? Well, there's a good reason for that. I think one of the things that we have to remember is that cats are a species that are both predator and prey. This is cat expert Ingrid Johnson sharing her wisdoms with CNN. So, for cats, cardboard boxes can be a spot of safety and security, nice place to hide and, and cozy up and take a nap. It's also a great ambush point. Cats are ambush predators and would much rather just sit under a shrub and, and slowly wait for their prey to just meander by so that they can successfully catch it. A cardboard box inside can serve a similar purpose and provide a place for them to pounce. Having a safe space for a cat like a cardboard box is essential for their well-being. It's been proven that cats are far less stressed and also less likely to break with illness in a shelter setting if they're provided with a box because they need a place to feel safe and to be able to hide. One of the reasons cats like cardboard boxes so much is because cardboard is insulating and helps cats not need to expel any additional energy to maintain their body temperature. And sometimes there's just a simpler reason cats love boxes. They love to squeeze themselves into a tiny box. And why? It's cozy. It's fun. They like it. The big cats like boxes too. Probably not much of a box left when they're done with it. A lot of people do not meet their cat's environmental needs. They need nooks and crannies. They need places to hide. You know, every time Amazon delivers, why not give something to your cat for enrichment? So back to the question, how come dogs just don't seem to love boxes as much as their feline friends? They don't have the same hunting strategies. They don't have the same need for um, the preservation and a place to hide. Um, some dogs dig them, but mostly I think they enjoy tearing them up. 
It's just not a dog thing. Still to come on this Sunday 7, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch Ecosystem and the real reason your brunette mate has a ginger beard. Right after this. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. You're listening to The Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso. Or maybe try our UK edition. It's all in the usual places. A swirling soup of plastic debris floating in the middle of the Pacific Ocean is now home to dozens of marine species. That's according to a recent study that examined 100 pieces of debris from the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Researchers found nearly 500 marine organisms living on them, and those creatures account for 46 different species, including oysters, crabs, barnacles, crustaceans and mussels. 80% of these species are typically only found along coastlines. But how are these creatures creating a home on a pile of floating plastic trash? News Dubois is Director of Communications at non-profit The Ocean Cleanup. They seem to be able to feed themselves and reproduce while they are floating around on these little pieces and feed themselves on on snails or or small um, jellyfish that are in the area and manage to survive. Of course, these are invasive species in the area and we will continue to uh, do more research on this. It's remarkable how many we found and the fact that they are able to reproduce is a warning sign and whether or not it's concerning it's too early to say. And so what does this mean for cleaning efforts trying to get the garbage out of the ocean? These are invasive species so we don't think that it matters to take them out of the area when we take the plastic out. There is other species that are predominant in this area that we monitor very closely together with our catch to make sure that we don't do any damage while we uh, while we manage our operations. And for those who want to help in the effort Yust has some simple tips. Well it starts of course with being uh, very, very aware of how you're using plastic, especially single-use plastics. We use a lot of it. It's uh, it's great material, but it's also very persistent. So if you litter it, it will uh, it will stay around for a long time. And um, uh, so, don't litter. Clean up, clean up the environment. Participate in beach cleanups. Uh, support organizations like like ours. Uh, what we do is not is not cheap. It's not easy. could get the plastic products we're so used to having but without the pollution that comes with it. One London-based startup says that's possible and its system could make fossil fuels a thing of the past. Grant Ahrens is the CEO of Fabric Nano, the company specialising in cell-free biomanufacturing. We all know that we have a problem with materials that we use in the everyday. 
We have 8 billion metric tons of plastic waste that have accumulated in the oceans for 8 billion people. Fabric Nano's process is a closely guarded secret, but it doesn't use the oil and gas the chemical industry currently relies on. Instead, it uses proteins to manufacture any chemical required, including environmentally friendly bioplastic. Proteins are these beautiful machinery that are capable of doing chemistry that we find all over nature and all within bio biology. Essentially, a protein can do any material production and any chemical production that we can think of today. The process of using proteins to create chemicals isn't new, but Fabric Nano is aiming to design enzymes that can survive in an industrial production process. To do so, it's teamed up with a company called Summit Omo Chemical America Plastic and Petrochemicals Producer. The chemical industry can be our friend if we enable them with technology that is a drop-in replacement for how they currently make chemicals today. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to enable this industry to help fight climate change as fast as possible using a technology that can be scaled exponentially quick, and that is a cell-free biomanufacturing technology that we're building. Ed Sheeran, Prince Harry, Christina Hendricks and Lindsay Lohan are just a few famous redheads. A full head of red hair is a rarity, but ginger beards? They're much more common. So why do some people have red beards but not red hair? Hair colour is inherited from parents, grandparents and beyond, so it's possible for the hair of a distant ancestor to reappear. The MC1R gene is the key to creating the beauty that is red hair. MC1R converts red pigment into dark pigment. If a person inherits two mutated MC1R genes, one from each parent, then they end up with red hair. But if you only inherited one mutated MC1R gene, red hair can appear in other places, like your beard. That's why red beards are more common than pure redheads. The exact mechanism for how it all goes down, though, still isn't known, so the mystery of the ginger persists. This has been the Sunday 7. However you're listening, do us a favor and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7 a.m. with the regular Smart 7 Ireland edition. Have a great rest of the weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, this is Kira from the Smart 7 Ireland edition. Just to let you know, we're pausing this podcast from Friday the 25th of August, but you can still get up to speed in just seven minutes if you search the Smart 7 and catch up with our UK edition. Thanks for listening.